Hey folks, how's it going? Jovan Hutton Pulitzer here. Thank you for joining me this morning. We're gonna do this program different than most. I'm gonna cut out all the commercial breaks and everything else because we're going to have General Flynn, a great American hero on the program with you. I'm gonna tell you right now, get your questions ready. Uh, I'm just gonna have a brief conversation with General Flynn. I'm gonna open it up to the floor so you can ask your questions of General Flynn. Make sure you rumble this, get it out there, share it. Uh, I appreciate everybody joining us this morning. Remember, when you ask your question on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitch, uh, I can see you on the screen. We can pump it up for the general who he can see it. Otherwise, you can watch on Twitter, Rumble, Getter, Telegram, and D Live. Share this right now. Let's get started with the program. Here we go. Cut the crap. How many times a day do you want to say that to politicians, the elite, the loony liberals, the fake news media, and the gender-confused, emotional, socialist, snowflake crowd? Cut the crap is your secret weapon for fighting for our freedoms and our great republic. It all begins with a massive mental enema, freeing you from the toxic news and politically correct views, which constipate your consciousness with stinking thinking. Your host, Joe Von Hutton Pulitzer. He's known for calling out politicians and telling them to cut the crap. You've seen him on virtually every television network and listened to him on Coast to Coast Radio. And now he's here to help you learn to fight for America. Culture, race, and American politics, they all have one thing in common. They all need to cut the crap. Now, here's your host, Joe Von Hutton Pulitzer. Hey folks, how's it going? Jovan Hutton Pulitzer here. Uh, great American hero, General Flynn. Thank you for joining me this morning. I appreciate you being here. Uh, hey, you have one of the best openings. Uh, I've been on every major network, a lot, of, and probably 50 different podcasts. That is by far the best opening. And I love, you know, when we were together the other night, I love the uh, cut the crap because it's <laughs> so true. I mean, it's so true. Everything about what those what that acronym stands for, right? Culture, race, American politics. It's yes, like sir. just so, you know, interweaved through our entire lives right now. And we do, we, it is time to cut the crap. Absolutely. Thank you. So I, I really appreciate you being here. The, the audience is going nuts. Uh, uh, thanking you for being here. I'd like to do something a little bit different than most people do. I want to know more about the man. We know the general. I want to know more about the man. And I read in your book that your, it's your mom who got you kind of started in this path of service and your family. Tell us a little bit uh, about your family. Take us back in time, would you please? Yeah, wow. So, so um, <clears throat> I, I will, I am first of all part of a uh, large Irish Catholic family and I'm one of nine brothers and sisters. Um, and I appreciate you calling out my mom. My, both my parents are deceased now. My mom lived till she was 90. Uh, my dad didn't, uh, he wasn't that lucky, but uh, he was a, a great, great guy, a tough guy, very tough Irishman. World War II and a Korean War vet. And uh, he, he served as a, and retired as a sergeant from the army uh, in the early 60s. So, you know, he went into World War II uh, around 43 and, and uh, was part of uh, Patton's Fifth Army. And and in the European campaign. And then he spent the better part of 
two and a half years over in Korea on the Korean Peninsula, and you know, just in in all sorts of different roles. And so he was a he was a tough guy. Came back, and uh, you know, and and he and my mom uh, ended up raising a, a great family of nine. One thing about my mom is that my mom was the uh, it, from her high school class, Rogers High School in Newport, Rhode Island. Um, she was the valedictorian and salutatorian wow. and received a, uh, she's a br- brilliant lady. She received a, uh, a um, full scholarship to Pembroke, which was the essentially the girls component of Brown University, you know, Brown University today. At that time, I think it was Brown College and Pembroke College. But um, so my mom was a really a terrific lady. And, and what's interesting about my mom is that her her dad, my father, my grandfather, uh, was in the Navy, um, and he actually joined the Navy in 1914, um, and he was on, uh, at, I think, the ripe old age of about 17. He was probably 16, actually, but he was at, he said, you know, I, I learned that he said he was 17. I think you could join then, but so my, my mother actually uh, traveled a little bit of, of the world and certainly was more worldly um, growing up because her, her father was in the Navy and they, they actually lived, uh, my, my grandfather was the, what's called the chief master at arms at Pearl Harbor up until 1939. So he was a senior, oh, wow. one of the senior enlisted at Pearl Harbor. And then they departed in 1939 and they traveled back to, um, traveled back to the United States and, and, uh, and he was involved in uh, in my grandfather. And this is really kind of leading into the story about my mom. My grandfather was a torpedo man in early days of torpedoes where where we were selling torpedoes to to the to the English and other other navies that we were in support of as they were fighting the Germans and the J- Japanese before we entered the war. And they, we were we were plinking, plinking torpedoes off of. Japanese and naval and German vessels. I mean, literally, they were firing. They'd hit the ship and they'd bounce off, and they oh, weren't wow. working. And so, my grandfather became one of the master torpedoes for the development of torpedoes to actually blow up against, you know, blow up some of these ships during World War II. So, my mom, my mom was one of these people who, rather than taking her full scholarship to uh, Pembroke, and uh, you know, and going off to become you know a, a lawyer or a doctor or whatever she wanted to be, she decided to marry her high school sweetheart Charlie Flynn, and uh, proceeded to have nine children. Thank God, right? right. <laughs> Otherwise, maybe maybe she would only had a couple. Uh, um, and so she was someone who was a, a lifelong learner. My mom, uh, as time went on. And as, was, as we were all growing through school and, you know, high school and, you know, elementary, high school and college, my mom proceeded to get her uh, college degree. Uh, eventually, um, she got a, uh, an undergraduate in economics and political science. And I think she got a, another one in, in business, another undergraduate in business, just as, a, as a, an aside. But then she eventually went to law school. So while she was still raising, our, you know, all of our kids and and uh, and pushing us out the door, so to speak, she ended up get, going to law school and graduated from uh, from Suffolk. And uh, and I think at the about, about the age of 69, 68 uh, time, you know, or 68, 69 years old. Um, so she was one of these people who used to tell us, I don't care what you do with that degree. You can put it in your pocket if you want, but you're going to go get one. You know, you're going to. And so she was always uh, about getting an education and learning um, and everything. So, but she was also someone who was uh, very, very politically active. 
And uh, I always tell these stories. My mom was actually the head of right to life for the state of Rhode Island. And she ran on a, she ran in, in uh, for different political offices, uh, local and state. Uh, but she would always run on one platform, on one single platform. And that was, that was life. That was the right to life. And in the, the very first um, march, the very first right to life march in, uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., I actually went down there. I got on a bus with her and we drove down there together. And I marched in that wow. very first right to life march. Now, we were we were Fantastic. Democrats. Yeah. So from from, you know, what party was my mom a part of? She was a Democrat. We were all Democrats up in the southern New England because it was the era of JFK and, you know, and pro pro America. Right. I mean, my father's a World War Two vet. I mean, everybody was pro America, pro life, pro small business, uh, pro family. Uh, but but it was a time in the 60s at that time, at least, where where we were. Uh, we were, you know, I would say when my father got out of the military, we were sort of lower middle class uh, or even even uh, less than that, so to speak. You know, because my father, when he retired from the army, he got, he went to work as a teller in a bank and he ended up retiring uh, as the vice president of that bank. But he but he working his tail off. But he also ended up having a heart attack. And so that that, that didn't kill him then. But it but it ended uh, it ended his life too shortly, you know, too recently as he as a you know i think he was 72 and he died but but my mom was one of these people who was very uh um she was strict on education but she was um creative in how we uh had had dialogue and discourse and arguments around the, the you know the, the the picnic table or the or the table that we used to, to eat our meals which was always an entertainment, uh, entertaining time for the Flynn. I can imagine. And we lived, we lived in a in a very very small house. So I know, I mean, a very small house. Uh, I, you know, we had a so nine children and two adults in that house, three bedrooms, and the two bedrooms for the kids. You know, we had five boys in one, and four in the other. And these bedrooms were like boxes. We had one bathroom, no shower. The the uh, the bathroom. Uh, was no bigger than the walk-in closet in the house that I have now. Wow. You know, honestly, in fact, the, bat, the, 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 the shower was that, that was it. It was a shower, shower head, no bathtub. And so we never really knew bathtubs. And, but we lived, we had a very close family and we still do. And, and we did lose, I did lose a, uh, uh, my oldest sister, our oldest sibling, uh, in a very tragic car accident, uh, years ago. And, when she was a young woman. And that was a, that actually, you know, in big families that can, that can uh, really stress big families. And it did, we went through a very stressful time, but my parents um, and particularly my mom, she kept us together like glue. And uh, so we're, we actually, I think we became a much stronger family. And that's why I think I was able to survive my persecution. The, the last thing about sort of my mom was we lived and she always loved the ocean. So we lived, we came back to, her and my mother and father's, you know, my father's hometown, which was their hometown was Newport, Rhode Island. And they lived on what we call the other side of the tracks. They grew up in the, we grew up in a ward system, right? And the ward system, we were, my father was from the fifth ward, which was the Irish neighborhood. And you had the, you know, the other wards were Italian and Portuguese, but my, my father grew up and my mother grew up in the, in the fifth ward, the, the Irish neighborhood, but they wanted to uh, not live there. They didn't want to, re, you know, come out of the military and come back to that neighborhood. They took a little place over in Middletown, Rhode Island. So that's where I grew up primarily in Middletown, Rhode Island. 
And uh, we lived not more than a stone's throw from the ocean. And so in my entire, all my brothers and sisters, we all surf, wave surf, right? And I've been, I've been surfing for over 50 years. I actually own 10 surfboards still. I have a couple uh, up, in, up in Rhode Island that I left at my, uh, at my mother-in-law's house where we go up there and surf once in a while. And I, and I, uh, I travel around with about three or four of them. Um, and, and I don't surf as much as I used to, but when we were kids growing up, my mother, honestly, I don't even remember when I learned how to swim. I just know that the story was my mother would throw us into the pool, see how long we could struggle and then maybe come down and get you and put you back up. Right. Uh, unless you, you know, unless you paddle back up. So I, my guess is I was probably honestly four or five years old when I learned how to swim because I remember surfing when I was six. Wow. On small waves with a big board, you know, big Gordon and Smith surfboard for anybody, any of your audience, your great listeners that understand surfing and the old surfboards that Gordon and Smith was one of the old time surfboards. I remember surfing when I was six and I, I never looked back and surfing has be it's a lifestyle. Definitely uh, for anybody from the surfing community, it's definitely a lifestyle. And and it makes you a free thinker. I really do believe it makes you a free thinker because in the many, many years that I've surfed in the different communities, um, like, you know, the community, the East Coast community, the, the Florida community, surfers now, the Florida community, the West Coast, the California surfers. I've surfed. I was stationed in Hawaii. I surfed there quite a bit in Hawaii. Uh, and I've surfed all over different places around the world uh, since. But there's a community there and it's a bunch of free thinkers. And, and uh, you know, plus, if you surf in big surf, big waves, which I have. You know, ten to fifteen foot. Certainly, you better right. be you better be ready to wipe out and and and, uh, and hold your breath for. You know, I used to practice holding my breath for up to two minutes. You know, which is quite a bit. Try holding your breath for thirty seconds sometimes. Uh, you know, because you get pounded by uh, by the surf. And anyway, so that's that's a. My mom was was somebody who continued to encourage us to be our own person. And I think today I always tell people, don't let others define you, uh, define yourself. And that really comes from my mom, because my mom was one of these people where she would always tell us, you know, lifelong learner, treat others like you like to be treated. You know, the golden rule, my father, my father was big on that as well. But uh, get out there and, you know, kind of be your best, right? And, 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 And don't worry about, you know, she used to say sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. You know, tough of what, you know, if somebody calls you something, don't worry about it. And I think that that has really, really carried uh, me and, uh, and certainly my family. And I, I guess one other, one other thing that to just add to this sort of, you know, tale, um, my wife and I have been together since we were 13 years old. And uh, we've been married for over 41 years now. Uh, we, you know, we, you know, puppy love through uh, the, the era of elementary and high school. And we always hung together and I was good friends with a couple of her brothers. We played sports together. And right. then, uh, you know, we, before we left high school, we really and never looked back. And, and, uh, and so when, you know, that, that kind of, of, of character that's built in a family that I grew up in with, you know, with tough, a tough group of brothers and sisters and a, and a tough father with a, you know, a really mother who was, who we cherished. And then uh, with a, uh, you know, a meeting at a young age, someone who uh, becomes your lifelong partner, you know, is a, uh, you know, to me, it's like, that's really what has kept me healthy. 
Now it's kept kept me focused. Um, and I always tell people, you know, it, it, with long, long relationships, Jovan, and for your audience, you know, particularly long relationships, uh, you, you have to like the one you, you love, right? That's a, that's a good piece of advice that I got a long time ago. And uh, because, you know, love is, love is, you know, whatever, um, you know, it's, a, it, it, it's mixed at times, but uh, anyway, that's kind of, um, that's a little bit, I mean, there's some great tales, great stories in the, in my uh, book, the field of fight. I talk a little bit about that in my latest, you know, letter to America. I talk a little bit about my, my upbringing and my family. I, I had a crazy, you know, I was a, I was a, maybe because I was a surfer and I loved the ocean. I, you know, I was a, I was a high, uh, a high cliff diver. I would dive, dive or jump off of, of, uh, of bridges. Uh, we had bridges that, cause we lived on, I grew up on an Island, a Quidnick Island in the state of Rhode Island. And uh, so I was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of an adventurer and, uh, but I would swim. I would always swim in the ocean. And when you swim in the ocean or surfing in the ocean, you know, you, you, you grow an affinity for, uh, and you grow a, a realization for the dangers, um, that you, uh, you know, and, and it just sort of, sort of a, a hazardous ability to, or, or an ability to take on certain hazards. And maybe that's what led me into, uh, into jumping out of perfectly good airplanes in there the military. Go. Right. So I, I spent 17 years of, uh, of a 30, essentially a 34 year career, um, you know, jumping out of perfectly good airplanes, either in the airborne or the special operations forces. And so, and, and, and uh, that lifelong learner, attitude that my mother ingrained in all of us, I, at every opportunity that I could, and sometimes I did it at night. Uh, sometimes I was, I was privileged to be sent to school. I ended up getting, uh, after my undergraduate and my you know days in ROTC and my undergraduate at a state university, the university of Rhode Island, uh, I ended up getting three master's degrees, you know, because I felt like, you know, I love to read and I love to study and I love to write. And I felt like, you know, after I took a, a nighttime master's degree to get an MBA in telecommunications. I, you know, I always said, geez, you know, it, it's easy to get a master's degree if you just put your mind to it and you can knock one out, you know, you know, you can knock one out if you, if you do it. And I was, again, I was privileged to be sent uh, twice to two different schools for a year at a pop. And, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, one of the, one of which I got selected for a second year program, which is called the school of advanced military studies. Uh, at uh, Fort Leavenworth under the guise of the Command General Staff College. So, so education, uh, training, discipline, uh, particularly growing up in a, in a family of nine, a very small house. Uh, you know, I would love to, I'll come back on it another time and just talk about the, the bathroom routine at the Flynn's house growing up. I can imagine, just out of curiosity, where are you in the hierarchy of the, of the kids? Number six. So I have Number my... Six. Yeah, we. I have sister, my sister uh, Helen, or we call her Lenny. She's the one that died at a tragic, tragically at a young age. My brother Bill, my sister Claire, my sister Barbara, my brother Jack, Mike, my me, you know myself, my sister Mary, my my uh, brother Charlie, who's still a serving officer in the United States Army. He's a four star, actually running all Army forces in the in the Indo Pacific Basin, and then my uh, brother Joe, who you've met, I think I yes. believe you met my brother Joe. So. So yeah, we have a wonderful family. We're all very close, and uh, that's why we say we got to come up with the phrase. Actually, some digital soldier came up with the phrase, you know, hashtag fight like a Flynn, and we loved it. We took it on as our mantra. 
Absolutely. I, I can relate because my family's the same way. My father's one of uh, uh, more than 12, but it ended up being nine that only lived to, uh, you know, teenage years or adult years. So been through the right thing. They had two row houses, one house for my grandma, grandpa and the girls and one house for the boys. Yep. No electricity, the same thing, whatever. Let's kind of um, start right here. If we had to sum it up, where are we right now? Because I know people, everybody's collectively hurting, but I tell everybody, look, we've got the beast backed against the wall and they're going to try to pull out everything because they know it's now or never. We now know what's going on in history. If you had to surmise where we are as a nation right now, what would you say? Yeah. So, of course, thank you for asking that question. And this is sort of a free for all here for the audience. I mean, you know, Jovan and I have talked about a lot of things, but but we came on here today to just, you know, sort of free all, free fall. So I think, Jovan, and for your audience, your great audience, that I think we're at the most consequential moment in U.S. history ever, ever. We now know and we see this infiltration of our domestic lifeblood, I guess, of our of our domestic uh, uh, character DNA of all institutions of power and right and as it stands uh you know they you know quote unquote they uh, the left the marxist movement in the country they control all the levers of power at the certainly at the federal level and as we've seen uh <clears throat> with all the discussion down to uh, school boards they actually control many of the state and uh and local levels of of power and that's been going on for the better part of 40 years. And I, you know, we can have a conversation about when the, the Communist Party of America decided to take over the Democratic Party, which was really in the late 60s. They made a conscious decision. And then, you know, how to get there was through health care and health care system, education system and the rule of law uh, system. So we are at the most consequential moment in U.S. history. Uh, we are. Uh, facing a takeover of our country. And I totally agree with you. you know, we have them backed against the wall because they have thrown a lot of stuff at us and they continue to bombard us with noise, right? But, right. but effectively, in some cases, we have to fight through that and we have to do the research and the digging. And, you know, like I, you know, we, you know, I like this, I like the idea that you, you showed there about digital soldiers, digital soldiers, the digital army that's out there has to continue to fight through this this information war that we're part of. But every time they've thrown something at us, the, the masses of American patriots, frankly, you can call them what you want. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll probably, I'm probably described as a domestic terrorist because I, <laughs> I, I call out, I talk about patriot and patriotism. Right. But, um, but every time they've thrown something at us, we've beaten it back. And, you know, the election integrity, I, I can tell you that, that there was discussion uh, in the Democratic Party circles that they thought that by March... April of 2021, the, the the discourse of election fraud, election, you know, the, the 2020 election would be dead. It, they they right. would have defeated that noise. They would have defeated that message. And, uh, and the mainstream media would have enabled that. And in fact, here we are still talking about it. And it's still, I mean, look at, you know this, I mean, you've been just an extraordinary, you know, you've been a hero in this effort. I mean, Thanks. uh, 
So, I, I mean, I mean that. I mean that. And, and not without its challenges and not without its pushback by people in our own orbit, right? As you know. Yes, so, so they, they uh, these levers of power that they, uh, that they have, not only executive power of the federal government, media power of mainstream media and the big corporate networks, but also the global, you know, the globalists, right? There's the World Economic Forums going on right now this weekend. And, and if, you, if you listen to any of their speeches, I was listening to John Kerry's speech yesterday to, to kind of get a sense of where, where are the next steps in the big global, you know, warming and climate change. Uh, you know, when John Kerry is speaking, he's using talking points for the globalist elite. And uh, so they, there is a there is an element of control there, uh, and then everything that they tried to do with with uh, the COVID nightmare, right? And and they shut down. They they did. They shut down our, our society, and they're they maybe they'll try it again with this monkeypox thing. But you know who knows? So we are at a consequential moment. I think that um, people, you know, people need to really really. Focus. I tell. I, I used to use the this sort of phrase in uh, when I was teaching uh, leadership in uh, military. You know, and and there's you know there's things you could control. There's things you can't control, and there's how you take control. Very very important leadership principles. And I I you know you know I use this phrase: local action has a national impact, or local action equals a national impact. So when I talk about control, and I talk to people that come up to me and they say, what what can I do? What should I do? Well, you know, there's those of us like you and I who do have a national and frankly, an international platform. And so we are trying to control a narrative and we're trying to force a narrative. We're trying to fight through a narrative at our at, at a level that that others don't have. Others just don't have that. And that's OK. So you what people have to do is you have to understand what you can control in your life. And most people, the majority of, of citizens can control their things inside of their community. They can control themselves. They can control whether they volunteer for something. They can control whether they get involved in a local campaign. They can control whether they decide to run for office, school board or, or uh, state legislature, or maybe even, maybe even a federal level, right? So people can control their own personal domain and what they do at their level. They can control how they, how they use their dollars and their resources, you know? I mean, Maybe maybe they stay. Maybe they control by just subscribing to your to your show, you know, and, and that's how they get informed. And then they're able to talk to their friends and family. You know, that's a way of taking control. There's things that people cannot control. I mean, if you can't control what, you know, President, you know, Biden, right? What Joe Biden says, or you know, I, I, I have a tough time saying that. Yes. What what anybody, you know, if you can't control what they're going to say, then. You know, then I mean, yeah, you have a you have a right and a and a privilege to to complain about it, but but don't waste a lot of time on that on that complaining. You know, focus on what you can do, because the the third part of that is really how you how you take control. You know, how you take control. So how you take control is by, and I'll go back to my what my mom taught us is to be a lifelong learner. You take control by learning, by digging, by researching. Not reading the headlines. Be careful of just flipping on the, you know, the nightly news and watching the headline monologue. I mean, th this is why the rise of independent broadcasters is extraordinary. Conservative voices. I mean, independents. I, you know, you're 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 one of the of an example. You know, in your particular category. And of course, you have you have a lot of, of things that you do control, and and uh, and you're you leverage your, the way you control things by 
you know, by having conversations with me or having conversations with many other people. And so that rise of voices and, uh, you know, I, I, I just I was up this morning at about four o'clock. I spend most of my mornings reading every single morning. And I do dig and I look at, you know, sort of both sides of arguments. I, you know, I read different things that people would, you know, some maybe some people would be shocked at and others would not be, you know. But I read really uh, intensely for about three hours every day. And uh, and that that sort of mentally prepares me for the different uh, conversations that I'm going going to have. I know that I'm going to have during the course of, of you know, I'm going to go up and I'm going to talk to a group of people tonight about a candidate for for office. Right. And uh, uh, for for a federal office, a, a mm-hmm. House of Representatives, you know, you know, I'll drive three and a half hours. And during that time, I'll probably read for two of those. Right. So I, I, I think that people have to. Um, have to they have to decide how they're going to take control of the information that they receive and that they synthesize, understand, interpret, and then and then take into their own uh, discourse with their families, with their communities. And I want people, I want your your audience to really give that some serious thought about how you take control of your lives from from this point on. And what groups in your local community might you get involved with? And then you'll find you'll find uh, people that are a lot of people that are like minded that you never met before who feel the way we feel about everything, about every one of these issues. And then you'll find in that group leaders who are now rising you know, to the next level of occasion. Right. Rising to the occasion. And that might include you. And I'm now not talking to you, Jovan. I'm talking to you, the audience. So so uh, anyway, it's a most awesome. time. It, it's time. It's time to activate. I tell everybody, no army's coming to save you. Stop right. it. No white horse. We've got to do this. Uh, let's take a fi- quick question. I'm going to go through these fairly rapid fire. Bill's asking on Facebook, General Flynn, how do you feel about the gender fluidity movement having entered the U.S. military and the fact that current policy seems to go out of its way to adjust to it? Yeah, I'm totally against it. Uh, our our purpose for our U.S. military singular purpose and it goes back to the days of george washington our singular purpose is to fight and win our nation's wars period right and and uh the the key word there is win right not participate forever uh you know and not pretend like we're a big social experiment and that's what that's what our military has become frankly you know became a social experiment you know it's always kind of been one to be honest with you but it's really True. became one back in the 90s and uh, but it's to fight and win uh, our nation's wars. All of this other nonsense is exactly that. And uh, and and I, you know, I, I just don't we, we don't have time for that. Uh, constitutionally, it actually says in our Constitution, I, and, I, and I would encourage all readers to go and read that document. It only takes about 45 minutes, an hour, maybe um, in our Constitution. It says that we will maintain a Navy, but during times of war, we will build an army. Uh, so it, it's really very specific. And if you read uh, the some of our founders, particularly George Washington, and some of the things that he talked about as he decided not to become king and, and, and took on the reins of presidency, our first president, he, he really talked, he was very articulate about it. But the bottom line is uh, that is our mission. So as a, you know, any president worth their, worth their, their, you know, their weight and whatever, uh, you know, that commander in chief 
their mission statement to the military, to our armed services, to our, our uniform wearing military is, I want you to be prepared to fight and win our nation's right. wars when, when we, the people of this country, decide to commit you to war. And, uh, and then I, so I can take that as a general. I can take that task, right, that, that objective, and I can break that down when we say fight. You know, that means I have to be prepared. I have to be trained. I have to be ready. I have to be equipped. I have to be manned. So those are things that I can take. And then I can break even those things down. Manning, I can take training. I can take equipping. I can break those things down into subtasks. So, and then winning is easy. It's just now I'm going to set a set. I'm going to uh, put a, a set of objectives on that, that, that basically are very simple that are going to achieve victory. And they're not going to be uh, ambiguous. They're going to be very clear and concise. And if anybody has any questions about what they are, they can ask me. Right. Uh, and, and as Abraham Lincoln did, he, he rifled through a whole bunch of, of, uh, of generals, you know, the, certainly for the army, you know, the, for the North, uh, before the, you know, he got to a Grant or a Sherman who actually understood his objectives. And, and, it, and Abraham Lincoln's objective was to, was to win uh, at all costs and to unify, to, you know, to maintain the, the unity of the country. Very clear objectives. Well, we're, we're missing it when we're uh, saying our men are women and our women are men. Quick question here. Brian asked on Facebook, was the weather underground in the 60s the start of the modern Marxist movement in institutions? What do you think? Yeah, interesting question. And I think that uh, they, they are a, a they are a subcomponent of all of this. Um, I think for, for most people don't realize, but the Communist Party of America goes back to the really to around the, the early 1900s. Um, and, you know, I mean, if McCarthy, a guy like McCarthy is probably turning over in his grave because he turned out, you know, he's in the 50s. He turned out to be right. That um, he did. So, the, you know, the Marxist underground, there, there are all these different factions that exist and have existed over time and have morphed into much softer named groups. OK. And uh, so we, you know, we have the Democratic Socialist Party of America. Uh, people like uh, Casio Cortez is a part of it. Uh, Bernie, Bernie Sanders. You know, these are socialists, right? In the late '60s, uh, and you know, and uh, there were a, a series of of, uh, of uh, assassinations that sort of led led us to a, a a different era of leadership in the Democratic Party. It definitely did, and and um, and also a, a sub, a, a, the initiation of the subversion of of our political institutions by uh, federal entities, okay? Right. Um, so in the late 60s, early 70s, this usurpation and undermining and, and, uh, and, and now initial uh, efforts to subvert one party in the country, and they decided there was a decision to subvert the, the Democratic Party because they felt that was the, that was the one that was the, going to be the easiest. And then there was a, all, you know, all kinds of efforts by different people and then along that path to this day right now, to this conversation right now, you know, there were people that, that got in the way and because mainly because the Constitution has, has weathered a storm of, of, you know, of a big word that I've learned of usurpation, right, Under, undermining. And the, and the Constitution is a, is a very, very solid, strong document. Uh, and so you had people like um, you know, Ronald Reagan, right. It comes in to be a president. You had people like Donald Trump that shows up on the screen. I mean, these are, these are not blips on the screen. These are leaders who rose to the occasion because they felt, they felt that the country was being 
uh, essentially ruined. Now, Don, you know, for Ronald Reagan, anybody that studied Ronald Reagan, he goes back to the uh, president of the Screen Actors Guild in, in Hollywood in the 50s, right? And go listen to some of his speeches or go, go read some of his speeches to your audience that, that Ronald Reagan made while he was the president of the Screen Actors Guild. And he was basically a guy that was, uh, had a lot of friends that fought in World War II. Uh, Korean War was going on at the time. And, and he, saw, he saw things for what they were. And he saw actually uh, an effort by the communists to take over Hollywood. And, and today, that's a very real thing. So, uh, you know, he rises to presidency. He's, he's, got, the, he's got the executive uh, uh, office of the president. And then and he tries to do what, what he can. And boy, I'll tell you, you know, he, he did everything to, to, to do what he did. And he, of course, he, he, he really um, helped the country out quite a bit. But they went after him in a very harsh way. I mean, there's so many things. And, you know, and, and you know, there's good and bad things. But, uh, but there was really uh, mostly majority were good. And then we, then we fast forward through, through war, right? And I right. say war uh, because we got involved in so many wars in the 90s, the Balkans, you know, overseas, so many places. I don't want to go into every one of them. And then the, and then the 2000s under Bush, right, and, the, and his regime. I mean, uh, you know, the biggest, I've said this very publicly, the biggest strategic mistake of this century to date was the decision to invade uh, Iraq. Uh, it was totally unnecessary. And uh, sadly, you know, the men and women, uh, I served there for the better part of three years. Three years of my life uh, was principally in Iraq. And, uh, you know, so the military men and women that went there be, because our nations said to go, to go there, you know, they're, they're, they, they demonstrated a level of courage and sacrifice that's just extraordinary. And so I, you know, my prayers and my hats off to them and their families for that sacrifice. But we face... A, a a takeover at this point in time, the, the, the strengthening of this machine, this sort of Marxist, fascist, you know, because we think of fascists way over on the right. Actually, this World Economic Forum crowd, when they talk about we are now in the fourth industrial revolution, right? And uh, that's Klaus von Schwab there, Klaus Schwab, you know, he talks about the fourth industrial revolution that we are now in. And it's almost, I, when I listen to him, I think about, I, in fact, I said this to a friend the other day, that I, it reminded me of some of these speeches I've seen by Adolf Hitler in the 30s, where he talks about the, th the rise of the Third Reich. Very you know, much so. And, so anyway, I, we're, that's what we're in. That's what we're in. So it's, that, the question is a good question. I, I would say that that's a subgroup to, uh, to many that have coalesced over the last 40 to 50 years. And here we are. Quick question. This is from Mary Jo on Facebook. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase it. She says stories of Facebook or FBI being involved in radicalization of the mentally ill sounds plausible to me in thoughts, but I want to add something on my own. Is our, our institutions seem like they're infiltrated? I personally attribute a lot of this to the two Obama uh, administrations. I think he weaponized many things. So first, is the FBI irre irrevocably broken? Is it just over and done? Are there still good people in the FBI? And is the FBI now against the people? What do you think? Yeah, well, to answer Mary Jo's question quickly, I have no idea. And that, and that you know, that sounds, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I was going to say it sounds crazy, but God, I, you know, I don't put anything past these people. So that True. said, but I, I have no idea. But to your broader question, which is really important, 
the the infiltration by uh, by elements that are anti-American inside of our institutions of power, uh, particularly uh, federal law enforcement, uh, the intelligence agencies, our Department of Justice, our Department of State, uh, other other uh, parts of our government, Department of Commerce, Department of Agriculture. These are all, you know, what's interesting, like commerce and agriculture, people don't know that they, you know, we're, we're, we're in, in every embassy around the country, around, around the world because of trade and, and right. uh, principally because of trade. <clears throat> so this infiltration is very real. That's number one. The second thing is, and this really goes back to the 90s, particularly in Washington, D.C., you know, when the Clintons were in power, their efforts to, to really take control of the, the, uh, the, the particularly the places like the Justice Department, uh, in Washington, D.C. So the assistant attorney general uh, for uh, the District of Washington, uh, underneath the uh, underneath the attorney general's office, is the largest AG's office in the country. They probably have upwards of uh, my guessing right now is they've grown even under the Biden administration. But when I when I was, uh, uh, you know, still in government, uh, they were upwards of like 300, 350 people in that office alone. It's the largest office. Now, I, my, my guess is that because I've, I've I know that they're, they're growing these other uh, offices now. They just hired a whole bunch more people to look at white racists and, and domestic terrorists. And uh, so they're probably going to be around 500 people in that office alone. So that office is, uh, you know, runs a lot of things. There's, there's four districts in this country, uh, particularly in the, in the rule of law uh, system in the Department of Justice. And then one is the, the District of Washington, D.C., the Eastern District of Virginia, the Southern District of New York and the Eastern District of New York. There are other circuits in the in the judiciary around the country. The Fourth Circuit, the Ninth Ninth Circuit, which gets a lot of press, um, right. is the Second Circuit. So, but in Washington D.C., the uh, like the Washington headquarters of the FBI, uh, the the headquarters of the CIA. These are all organizations. We, we cannot kid ourselves that they have not been infiltrated by left, seriously left leaning. Americans, as well as as well as infiltrated by, frankly, just by spies. Right. I mean, uh, you know, anybody that remembers the the, the there's plenty of uh, of uh, evidence, and there's plenty of um, of historical examples of spies being caught. Uh, you know, you have the Philby case after World War II, where the where uh, in the in the MI6 in the British uh, system, the British CIA, essentially the number three person that was running the British system was a spy for the Russians at that time. And, uh, and, the, and the British, in fact, the guy was, in, he was, he was so much in charge that when they started to talk in a very small circle about the spies inside of the MI6, they actually tasked that guy to run the investigation. So he was running an investigation to find himself. And he ended up showing up, you know, uh, on an airport in an airport in, in uh, Moscow and never to be seen again. So he got away because you know, as they as they were doing the investigation, there's movies about that. There's books written about it. And there's a plenty of other examples of spies in our midst. I have been uh, uh, part of or certainly uh, briefed on uh, cases and, and uh, you know, that that are real and uh, and some are probably still active. And so that also uh, represents a uh, an infiltration of our of our system. We should not kid ourselves that we have you know, large communist nations around the world or dictatorships that do not like our, our uh, democratic ideology 
or our way of life. And they constantly threaten us. And we cannot kid ourselves that, you know, we're just this high and mighty, you know, we can't be that arrogant. We have to be humble in our approach uh, as Americans, but we have to be uh, disciplined in our accountability of our, of the people that we elect, the people, the bureaucrats that are in, in put into place and, and the rule of law, which is, which is actually, uh, if there is a, if there is a part of the American quilt that's being destroyed, it's that, it's that, right. uh, that fabric, that fabric of the American quilt and that democracy, this experiment in democracy called the constitutional Republic. It's that rule of law that inst- those institutions of the rule of law that's being, you know, ripped, ripped to shreds. You know, it's like, you know, it's like that, 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 that's the rule of law. And we cannot have that, particularly in Washington, D.C. There's, there's elements of light. Uh, as you said earlier, you know, we, we have them backed up against the wall. And I'll use one, like there was a bright light recently with, by this judge uh, who, who uh, denied uh, the Title 42, uh, right? right? So, so we didn't have this flow of, I mean, we're, you know, of, of illegals across our border. So there's a judge out there in the federal system, lifetime appointee, who who is standing up using the Constitution. And it was a it was a, a woman, and she essentially said, um, "This is unconstitutional." And now I guarantee that the Washington D.C. folks they'll fight it. You know, they'll take it to some, they'll appeal it. The Department of Justice. She already said it's unconstitutional. I mean, you know, let's hope that it withstands the the constitutional uh, constitutionality test all the way up to the Supreme Court. But in the meantime, the lack of accountability by those in the in the legislative branch and in the executive branch in Washington, D.C. are going to allow the free flow of illegals. And we're talking about, I, I, I was in touch with some folks the other day. I was just down at Eagle Pass. Right, as I saw you that. see in the media, I was just down at Eagle Pass the other day, uh, you know, I think right a, a week, a couple of days actually before I saw you. And, uh, and the guys down there were, were you know, we were, walking and talking and they were telling me border patrol guys and others and they were telling me that we're looking at 18,000 up to 18,000 in that sector alone a day a day, a day so that's yeah. i don't know what that number comes to it's probably uh, you know it's a quarter of a million to 500,000 in a month right it's crazy. crazy they're waiting so. there speaking of other countries and in invasions uh brosell wants to know what's your take on putin what's your take on china yeah so let me start with China first, because China, uh, this recent uh, comment by, by Joe Biden, um, you know, Inspector Biden there, uh, he, he, uh, he, he actually, to me, he said something that I think a lot of us in the military, you know, th- those that are serving, like the lack of uh, ambiguity, because our policy, you know, has always been very ambiguous when it came to Taiwan. And, and Joe, Joe I mean, he actually misspoke because you saw his entire foreign policy team have to walk it back. It shows you how incompetent they are. Right. And frankly, how, how out of control he is in terms of, you know, his, his, you know, a, a, a apparent uh, inability to think straight at times, you know, and I, I can use another stronger word, but um, so, so the potential for China to seize Taiwan is very, very real. And it's as high as I've ever seen it in our uh in my in my lifetime in my military career um and i've you know i've a big i've studied the chinese quite in fact if there was a if there was a enemy that i studied more than anything else to include radical islamism where i spent a lot of my 
years fighting was China because China always represented that existential threat. So very real. Uh, the Chinese are not kidding. Uh, the foreign uh, minister recently had a statement after uh, Biden's comments, and he basically uh, he basically extended the threat about Taiwan and said that you know we we you know we see China as one China, and right. uh, and 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 Xi has also said he's actually said it before that that you know it, on his watch they're going to take China take take Taiwan back. Now jumping to the other side of the planet in uh, Ukraine. Um, the, uh, the, the World Economic Forum and pe- members of the European Union are now, you know, talking about, uh, you know, kind of like, if you're, not, if you're not with us, you're with them, you know, type attitude. And we're now going to, we are now going to see discussion about, uh, you know, these, these forces being put into the, into the Black Sea, you know, like that are NATO or European Union forces, right? They're going to start to build the, the, what they, in fact, you're going to see the phrase, coalition of the willing okay coalition of the willing so i think the euro it was the european union uh or it might have been the international monetary fund chairman so i i i, I don't re- recall exactly it's just in the last 24 hours use that phrase coalition of the willing which is sort of a, a, a george bush phrase i think right which is very dangerous um so uh if you go back first of all i wrote an article prior to this uh, the invasion by um, by Russia to, uh, you know, if they, anybody that's paying attention to the foreign policy world can go back and read it. And I wish that they had followed the, the advice. That's a, uh, what's that web address again? Is it General Flynn? General Flynn.com. General Flynn, General and then I right. wrote one after. This was totally avoidable. This entire, you know, war, if you want to call it war, because, you know, it always is. It's war. It's ugly. It's not fair. People are going to be, you know, people are going to die. Uh, things are going to be destroyed. It's sad, Um, but it was voidable. And from Russia's perspective, they came in with limited set of objectives. And I actually think now one of the objectives is to show the world what what biological labs uh, that the Ukrainians had inside of their own sovereign territory in in many of these biological labs, as, as was stated in a congressional hearing. I think Rand Paul was the one that was able to extract it from Newland, Victoria Newland, Right. Uh, you know, uh, that, that the, yeah, the U.S. does have biological labs inside of Ukraine. So what the heck are they doing in there? What are, what are they doing? The other thing about Ukraine, Ukraine is listed as one of the most corrupt countries on the planet. I think it's like, I think it's either, it's not number one, it's number two. And that's why they, they you know, they're not invited into NATO. That's why they're not invited into the European Union, because you got to meet a set of, of criteria for banking, for education, for corruption. I mean, you got to have all this this sort of, you know, list of things that you tick down to be able to meet uh, these goals and objectives in order to join the club, right? And, uh, and, and Ukraine was so corrupt, it could never join the club. So, you know, what was Ukraine being used for, right? And, I, and I've talked about this in other forums, but Ukraine is being used for different things, uh, trafficking, uh, you know, weapon sales, uh, uh, you know, drug trafficking, human trafficking, you know, so I think you don't have to go any further than, than you know, let's dig deep into the laptop of Hunter Biden, you know, and and let's let's listen to what our own leaders have said over time about Ukraine. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not. Uh, what I am is I'm I'm not pro war. 
Okay, I'm not a I'm a military guy that I you know, you know I I went to war you know in different cat different places around the world for you know based on our foreign policy objectives, um, and and we did not have the attitude to fight and win. We had the attitude to to go in there and just participate forever. Particularly right. you know that's partly why I, you know I was sort of pushed out at the end of the day of the military. But the the uh, you know we. We are seeing Ukraine now being used, and I, don't, and I am, am, am using that word very specifically, being used as a means for massive levels of distraction and for an ability for the, for the globalists to, to sort of focus right, on right. Something, something that potentially uh, allows them to use as a as a means of distraction they're they're not going to get you know they're not going to nothing going to happen to them um you know their 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 militaries that may get may get thrown into this are we are now for those that don't know we are now talking about sending u.s special forces over to defend it's in, you know it's in the news the last 24 hours over to defend our our embassy um so you know that's that's a I don't. I don't have any issues with that. If it, if that's the, if that's the purpose. I mean, we do have an entire Marine Corps embassy security uh, element that is very, very professional and very effective, and very capable. And so I don't know why we have to send special forces over there to do what I know the United States Marine Corps is very capable of doing. Maybe you beef up the Marine Corps element that's over there, and I'm certain that they have. I don't know that, but I don't know why we have to send special forces in there. Are we doing any training? Yeah. And, and so of, of, of Ukrainian forces outside of Ukraine, I understand that that's going on. I've read that in the news. So all of this business about what's happening in Eastern Europe is very dangerous. I, I just, you know, uh, sent a note on, on my truth social, right. uh, you know, and hopefully I sent it directly to, to Donald Trump, to President Trump. Uh, it's a zero hedge article. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, at true Jen Flynn for those that care. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's really we're we are in world war three right now. We're in world war three. Uh, there's no doubt about it. There are, there are physical components of it. We just talked about China and Russia. There are right. intellectual components in it. There's a massive, massive information war going on. There are emotional because people are emotional about this. And then there's a spiritual component to all of this, uh, Jovan, as you and I have talked about many times. Absolutely. Quick one here. It's uh, Chris says, General Friend, certainly the closest to Biden know his true cognitive state. We've talked about this. Uh, if truly deficient, how do you believe this is being handled? And I would add to that, I personally believe he's just not there. All I hear, I hear from various people that are close or in D.C. that he's just not there. Who's pulling the strings? What's really going on? Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can see what everybody else sees. There's clearly a problem there. Uh, you know, when, when, you know, when the, he comes out to speak, he either has to have his wife standing there with him or somebody, you know, somebody, some caretakers there to make sure he doesn't turn and, and fall off the dais, you know? Um, but I, I think, you know, the, the, the other question is who's pulling the strings, right? Who's actually there. Now I will say and it's public. Uh, the, uh, National Security Advisor for all domestic policy is uh, Ambassador, former Ambassador to the United Nations, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice. Right. Okay. So she's been there. 
She was designated that position before the, you know, before the inauguration. Um, and uh, she's in charge. And so all domestic policy, well, you know, I guarantee, and, and I would bet on this, that, that before anything crosses for the president's signature, whether he's actually signing it or it's just a signature stamp that they're using, before anything goes to that point, and has the has the signator of the president of the United States of America, I guarantee that Susan Rice is is vetting it and reading it and maybe writing some of it and certainly being briefed on it. Um, that is, I believe that, that too. That that is, I I I firmly believe that. And so, therefore, her, you know, her relationships outside of the Oval Office. And I understand. I've been told that uh, that Barack Obama has been. Uh, going in and out of the White House far more often lately uh, than he was initially. And I think, and I've, I've been told that, I don't know whether it's true or not, but see, it, it should be easy enough to, to either get the White House logs, the visitor logs, you can FOIA right. them. Uh, maybe somebody ought to FOIA them to see, you know, or maybe he just comes in to, you know, the side door of the uh, executive Eisenhower executive office, which is right next door to the White House and, you know, and, and travels underneath the, you know, the sidewalk to go in, to go in through the, the, you know, the, the back door of the White House, and, you know, which is really, I mean, that's so, you know, so nobody sees him. But I, I understand that, that, they're, they're, that he's doing that. So, again, the, the type of people that go in and out of the White House and then people like Susan Rice, you know, is, these are people that have a completely different uh, frame of mind than I have, you know, and probably others that listen to your show. I look at the, our country as a, as a, uh, you know, as a continuation of an experiment in democracy. We are a constitutional republic form of government. We have a constitution. We have a rule of law. And uh, I really do believe that our founders gave us two things. They gave us the idea of courage and, and that, you know, as I say, courage is a decision. And the other is they gave us a sense of accountability uh, as, you know, for, for who we are as, as people. And they took accountability of themselves and they actually sacrificed their lives for it um, by demonstrating not only courage, but also accountability. They took account for who they were and they took a stand. And, uh, you know, that's in the DNA of every American, uh, not people who are anti-American. You know, people who are anti-American, they, they want control of our resources. They want control of you and I. They want control of our voices. Uh, and we're not going to let them have that. And, uh, you know. I, I think that, I know we're coming to the end of an hour here, but I, I appreciate it uh, very much. Uh, your audience, the questions, you, I'll, I'll come back on anytime. Uh, I, do, I do want people to understand that we are winning. I mean, we are definitely winning. I mean, we are fighting tooth and nail. Uh, Virginia, the outcome of the election in Virginia was a, was a real win. We, was 20 years, that was a Democratic, uh, prior to that was Republican. Now it's 20 years, it's been Democrat, legislature, state, and, and the, and the uh, executive, and uh, now it's Republican. It's Republican because we worked hard to, to six months prior to that election to get in there. We were looking at over 200 school boards that are either overturned or close to being overturned that we're focused on. You know, there's other states that we're involved in, you know, with uh, the America Project um, and, and some of the other things that we're doing. You know, I'm, personally, I'm fighting back by filing lawsuits, right? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to use the Constitution. I'm going to use the rule of law. I'm going to use the system that we have to fight back as a as a private citizen against some of these, you know, I'll use the word scumbags that uh, that served in our federal institutions. You know, now they're private citizens and I can sue them versus 
suing, you know, suing the Department of Justice, right? And I'm going to take that action to do that. And you'll you'll hear more about that in the in the coming weeks and uh, and months for sure, because I want people to know that uh, we cannot give in to to this this anti-American sentiment that exists in our country. So anyway, I'll wrap it up there. Thank you for talking. Allow me to talk about my family. Uh, I love my family. I love my uh, you know my brothers and sisters and my mom and dad were especially terrific people. And I love uh, the relationship that we have, Jovan. I, I am Thank so you, enlightened by your efforts and uh, your, your, you know, frankly, your brilliance and, and also your ability to fight and get in there and mix it up and not give in. And, uh, and I think you've been one of the champions of America. You know, in, in another part of my life, I run an organization called America's Future, and, uh, the, which is people can go to that, americasfuture.net, you know, americasfuture.net. And we're, we seek champions, and and uh, and the type of people that we seek are you, people like you. But there are American citizens out there, like I talked about, control, taking control, and getting in control. You know, people can 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 join me there, and and uh, and become a champion, and uh, and 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 do things. I give them ideas about how to how to function at the local level. So, anyway, I've gone way over time. Thank you, thank your audience. Uh, really, really appreciate it. We appreciate it, General Flynn. Thank you for uh, joining us and take care. You have a great week. Thank you very God much, bless. sir. Peace. Yep. Bye-bye. There you go, folks. Uh, great American hero. Spent incredible quality time with you. That was the goal. So you have the opportunity to get to know the man behind the scenes. What a great warrior. Folks, share this program. You're in it. Remember, there's no military coming to save you. You're it. We've been given a gift. Our eyes are open. We are the first uh, element of human in history that I believe we see everything. And long ago, if God talked to prophets one-on-one -on -one and very few people, God's talking to every one of us now, showing us what's going on, telling you, you've got to get involved because the way we win is for you to get involved. Thank you, folks. Until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Most people are afraid to stand up and speak out, but not you. You've been learning how to tell the system to cut the crap. What can I do to help save the America I love? And the answer is, learn how to fight back and tell the system to cut the crap. Cut the crap's not just a radio program, it's a movement. The right kind of movement, which breaks free the conservative constipation and reminds you that you are the majority. And we're just not going to take it anymore. Make sure you're following Jovan Hunt and Pulitzer on all social media. See you next week. And between now and then, take a stand and tell them all to cut the crap. Hey there. Think of all those people who mocked you for being a conspiracy theorist. Are you ready to become the smartest patriot in the room? Well, now's your chance to join me on Local. It's exclusive. It's a free trial membership where you can use to determine if my work, my insight, my content, and what I do to educate you to fight this fight for our country is worth it. And this is a whopping $4.16 decision since that's what the membership is with an annual subscription. Now you have to decide if $4.16 a month is worth becoming the smartest patriot in the room. So are you willing to spend $4.16 to gain the knowledge and insight it takes to make sure your country and our way of life survives? 
Is $4.16 even worth being able to prove to your family, friends, and co-workers that you're not some whacked conspiracy theorist? Is $4.16 worth spending on your education to fight this fight, but to also know you can do it where you can share the truth and talk about the truth, so help us God, and not get banned? If you are ready to become a fact-slinging, ass-kicking warrior of truth who fights for the survival of this country, then I invite you to take me up on this offer and determine if our country, our future, and my information is worth $4.16. Now, of course, you could use that money to buy one, well, say, iced coffee from your local Starbucks, or you could even feed yourself a box of frozen pretzels. Or that same $4.16 could be used to buy a small frozen Sara Lee pound cake. Now, of course, you could use that same $4.16 to feed your brain and to pound some sense into the leftists who are leaving our country in a mess. The choice is yours. I hope you join me. Click on the link below to take advantage of this exclusive limited time offer, but you better hurry because it won't last long. But you know what? If we lost the election, we know when we lose. If I lost the election, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Seriously. The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we got to get those routers, please. Get up. Routers. Come on, Kelly, we can get those routers. Those routers. Wow. If you got those routers, what that will show. And they don't want to give up the routers. They are fighting like hell. Why are these commissioners fighting not to give the routers? How simple could it be? That will tell the truth. And they don't want to give up the routers. What are they trying to hide? And I say it, and I'll say it, because the easiest way of cheating is to throw them away. That's easier. The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we gotta get those routers, please. Get up. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. It's so ridiculous. I, I'll be honest, though. Look, we all like to win. If I lost this election, I could handle it pretty easily. What? Run in 24, sir. You're gonna win. And I say, wait a minute, I just won six months ago. The big lie, they call it. Those trends are unproven. And knowing what happened in the election is a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we gotta get those routers, please. Get up. If you think about cancel, everything about cancel culture, they want cancel culture. But what they don't want to do is anything having to do with the 2020 election. We have no press. We have no voice. They almost got away with it. They may have gotten away with it. And I've got to tell you, I've got to say this. I've never said it before, but I've always thought it. I get along with Putin because that's a good thing, not a bad thing. The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we got to get those routers, please. Get up, get up. stupid little vax and your booster shot and your omicron 5 
Started this thing in early 2020. Said we'd be here, but no one listened to me. Biden said he'd end COVID if elected, but his response has just been plain pathetic. Mandates, boosters, shutting down our kids' schools. They must think that we're all a bunch of fools. Pfizer CEO is raking in the money. Well, I don't really think it's very funny. You told us 15 days and we could slow the spread. That was two years ago. Now you say get the vaccine, so we will end up dead. I need for you to hear this. When you're in prison, it will feel like pure bliss. You think you're a king in charge of my body? The Constitution says that's really naughty. You promised a vaccine, and it would be the end. All of that was a lie. Now you're on shot four, but it doesn't stop the spread. A B C D E. And your booster shot, and your Omicron fuck you, and your jab, and the fucking Wuhan lab, and your vax passports, and your Pfizer cohorts. Na 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 na. A B C D E F F. Na na na. Fauci and Pelosi and Saki and Schumer, all of you.